You are listening to the Bellator Christi podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. for a moment, if you will, the power of God. Uh, just, just think in your mind, may, maybe certain images are brought to your mind and you, as you think about the amazing power that God has, the amazing love that God has, the amazing presence that God has, the amazing wisdom that God has. Think about that just for a moment, just as you picture God in your mind. What if I were to say that God could be with you and in fact in you in your life and daily walk. That's exactly what happens at the day of Pentecost. That's exactly what took place. And ever since from that moment forward, that any person who trusts in the name of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit of Almighty God would come and reside within that person, would be with that person, so that, as Jesus' promise to us remains, that He would never leave us, and that He would never forsake us. As we were talking about picturing God in our minds, sometimes you know, the power of God, the intensity of God, the amazing presence of God, it's difficult for us sometimes to even really wrap our minds around who God is and what He is and His power. So oftentimes, the Bible used symbols to illustrate 
the presence and power of God. And so what we're going to see in this in today's passage in Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13, while I think that these are literal things that literally happened, I believe that God uses some of these symbols to help us comprehend and understand some of the deep truths about who God is and how He resides with us in our day-to-day living. So we encourage you, if you can and are able to, to please stand for the honor of reading (laughs) in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word as we read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The word of God reads, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. We'll talk about that in a moment. And as the Spirit gave them utterance, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? So how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are just full of new wine. In other words, they're saying, these guys are just, what's going on? They're just drunk. What's wrong with these guys? What's taking place here? Dear kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. And Lord, as we celebrate the Pentecost event, we just ask that your own Holy Spirit, Lord, would just come down and flood this place. Fill each and every one of our hearts and lives, Lord. Help us to be able to hear your word and understand it. Allow me just to simply be your microphone, speaking the words that need to be spoken and hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would truly hear, and our hearts that we'll apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. How many of you have ever read Guideposts magazine or, or edition of Guideposts magazine? It's a wonderful magazine. Uh, this magazine uh, will often hold uh, real life experiences that people have had with God uh, and, and how God has come and comforted them. Uh, Virginia Lively actually was a woman who posted a letter in Guideposts magazine dated December 1982. And she discussed how she was going through a time of depression in her life. How many of us have ever been depressed? Let's be honest, we've all been there. We've all faced times of discouragement and, and oppression in our lives, uh, depression and many things of the sort. 
Well, Virginia was going through a very particular difficult time in her life, and she prayed that God would just come into her life and that she could experience God in a fresh new way just to let her know that He was with her and that, that He would never leave her, He would never forsake her during this difficult dark days of His life, or of her life. Well, during this time, she was looking out her window and she saw a bright light. And this bright light came into her living room and stood right next to her. And as she looked at this light, this light was just blinding, but she tried to focus in on, on the light and notice the face. She couldn't make out all the facial features, but she could tell that this was Jesus who come to visit her in this visionary experience. She saw the wonderful eyes of Jesus and noted how this, this, how this Jesus had an unconditional love for her that loved her no matter what she was going through in life. And, and, this, and this person said to her, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, just as we find in Scripture. And after this experience had ended, she had prayed that she could have another experience like this again, but she didn't. And as she was standing up teaching her Sunday school class, she was anxious about certain things in her life, but she looked at one saintly woman of God, and she looked at her eyes, and she could almost picture the eyes of, of, of Jesus that was looking at her in this visionary experience. And it, as she looked at all the people in her class, she could see the loving eyes of Jesus looking back at her. And she knew that by that experience that Christ was with her, would never leave her and never forsake her. Now, not all of us are going to have experiences like that. It would be neat, and I have actually, I'm, I've become a little bolder in telling people about this. I've had three encounters in my life where I have experienced what I believe to have been angels. Uh, one at the bedside of a woman at Forsyth Hospital that was, uh, was dying of lung cancer and a couple of other experiences that have taken place. And so I don't doubt these experiences, having experienced these things myself in life, these three occasions. But I, and I love, I've even prayed, Lord, let me have more of those experiences. How amazing was that to have those experiences? But not every day is filled with that type of, that type of experience. But understand something. Christ is just as real in every one of our lives, even with ha without having such visions like that. Christ can be just as real in our lives through the Holy Spirit of God who comes and abides with us, who lives with us, who, who journeys with us in this journey we know as life. And this happens because of what took place back on May, Sunday, May 24, 33 A.D. Jesus most likely died on Friday, April 3rd, 33 A.D., rose from the dead on Sunday, April 5th, 33 A.D. He probably ascended to heaven on Friday, May 15th, 33 A.D., which would push the day of Pentecost being Sunday, May 24th, 33 A.D. They were all gathered together in this upper room, the same upper room where they had experienced the Last Supper with Christ. And at this time, as they came together, something spectacular took place that will forever change their lives and the history of God's uh, intervention with humanity. The Holy Spirit had come. And as we take a look at this, at this event, we see four symbols. Actually, I thought there were only three. But as I was digging in the studies this past week, I found a fourth one that really knocked my shoes off my feet. It was really amazing thing that I found here. Four symbols that illustrate how God became personal through the Holy Spirit of God. And we encourage you, if you'd like to write these things down, we encourage you to do so. 
Number one, the first symbol is the symbol of wind. Wind is the first symbol. Wind illustrated that the presence of God had become personal. Now up until this time, the Holy Spirit of God didn't reside with people. He would come down upon a select few individuals, some prophets, some particular kings who were anointed. He would come down upon certain individuals to inspire their words, but never in this interpersonal relationship that happened when the Holy Spirit came to earth. We see that this most likely was John Mark's mother, the same John Mark who wrote the second gospel. This was his mother's place. Now he didn't know, John Mark didn't know Jesus personally. He knew of Jesus, but after the resurrection, he had a fresh encounter with Jesus and knew him through the Holy Spirit. So, so while John Mark was a young man, uh, this, this took place in his mother's house. And what we see is that if you look back in verses 2 and 3, that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now I spoke with, with Linda uh, after the tornado came through, and I remember her saying that there was a distinctive sound when that tornado came through. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Linda, she said it sounded like a, a train whistle, uh, like you hear on a freight train going down the tracks. And my wife Jennifer, she had an encounter with a tornado years ago that came close, and she said the same thing, that it sounded like a, a train going down the tracks, the, the churning sound as you hear a train going down the tracks. Well, now, those things are, are powerful, these tornadoes are, but I want to tell you it doesn't hold a candle to the power of God. Amen? And the sound of this mighty rushing wind had to be incredible as the Spirit of God, I believe, flung every window open, flung every door open as He was rushing into this place. You see, wind, wind in the Bible is a term or is a symbol of the presence of God. It's no accident that the word in Greek, pneumos, means literally wind and spirit. It means the same thing, and the context determines how you use it. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see that Elijah had a personal encounter with God. Because first, if you remember, there was a rushing wind. There was a tornado that came through. Then there was an earthquake. But God was not in the tornado. God was not in the earthquake. Then there came a fire. God was not in the fire. But then there came a still small voice that came afterwards. There's another point to that, folks, that God may not always come in the dramatic events of life. He may come in the gentle, simplest moments of our lives, being there with us every step of the way. We see that God says to Isaiah, Look, the Lord will come with fire. His chariots are like the whirlwind to execute His anger with fury and His rebuke with uh, flames of fire. The psalmist notes that God makes the winds His messengers, flames of fire His servants. Jeremiah prophesies that when God thunders, the waters and the heavens are in turmoil. He causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind from His storehouses. You remember the story of Job? Boy, Job was going through some tough times. You remember that? And he had some friends. And the friends were good as long as they kept their mouths shut. You remember that? Once they started opening their mouths and trying to help, boy, they didn't help at all, did they? They just might as well hang up being counselors because they weren't good counselors at all. But do you remember what happened in that story? Job is asking God, why is all of this happening to me? Why am I going through all these circumstances? And do you remember what happened? Do you remember how God came to, to Job? 
He came through a whirlwind. Do you remember that? He came through a whirlwind. That wind represented the presence of God that had come into Job's life as Job, as, as God was answering some of Job's questions in ways that sometimes don't always satisfy us. God's answer was simply to Job, trust me, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and sometimes that's difficult, isn't it? It's just simply, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Put your faith in me. He asked me these series of questions. Were you there when I created everything? Trust me, Job. I have a purpose behind all of this. What is spirit? My, my son asked me that question. And I tell you, that's a difficult, that's a difficult thing to answer. Uh, Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary defines spirit as the empowering perspective of human life and the Holy Spirit bringing God's presence and power to bear in the world. But I think a good running definition of spirit is the conscious, personal energy. I believe that's what spirit is. Conscious, personal energy. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, He's eternal in that respect as well. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about an it. We're not just talking about a force. We're talking about a he. We're talking about a person who has mind, will, and emotions. The Bible tells us that it's possible for us to quench the Holy Spirit of God by resisting His will, by, by sinning in life and living in a way that's a, a, against His purpose for our lives, that we may quench the Holy Spirit of God, or we can flame in that Holy Spirit of God and allow Him to move in and through our lives. The, the wind represents that the presence of God had become personal and so he has in the Holy Spirit. But number two, the fire illustrated that the power of God became personal. Look at verses 3 and 4. Then they, there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. The principle is this. We don't need to think of there being several different fires coming down. There was one fire. There was one Holy Spirit that arced off into all these different flames upon that rested upon all these individuals. So if we were to see it now, we would picture a big ball of fire that came up, uh, up at the ceiling and arcing off, touching each and every person in the congregation. That's what they saw that day. When we talk about fire, we're talking about another depiction of God. We're talking about a depiction that illustrates the power of God. Do you remember when Moses encountered God? Where was it that he encountered God? Encountered God? Do you remember? It's the burning bush. God came in the burning bush to, to Moses. And he asked, who is it that I should tell these people that you are? And God says to him, he basically says to him originally, that, that uh, I am the I am who I am. I'm the self-existent one. But Moses couldn't actually say that to the people because it would make it out like he was the self-existent one. So he had to eventually say that the I am who I am has sent me Yahweh, uh, the self-existent creator of heaven and earth. Also, we see that on Mount Sinai, God came down on Mount Sinai when He provided the law to the people. Do you remember this? Smoke filled the entire mountain and the fire of God was all around on the top of that mountain. Can you imagine being Moses in that situation? My goodness, that had to take a lot of bravery for Moses to do that. But that fire represents the power of God. We see also that Ezekiel encountered God. Steve and I talked about this before. Not an alien... 
Okay, you probably see on Ancient Aliens this guy that looks like he stuck his finger in a light socket or electrical socket. You know, he's got the hair sticking straight up. This is not an alien that he sees. This is the pre-incarnate Son of God. He sees one uh, that was in the tr uh, that was uh, had a gleam like amber and what looked like fire enclosing it all around. From what seemed to his waist up, I saw a gleam like amber like fire enclosing it all around from what seemed to be his waist down i looked and saw that fire the brilliant light was all around him the holy spirit in revelation is depicted as the seven fiery torches which represents the one perfect holy spirit of god burning at the throne room of god that same spirit that was in the beginning that created the heavens and the earth that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives within you, beloved, if you believe Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen? That same presence, that same power resides with you. And that's why Paul could say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Now, I enjoy my fire pit. I have to say, we have a fire pit out back. We've turned it into a prayer garden, and we've really enjoyed it. One time, being the old dumb country boy that I am, I, I lit that fire pit up pretty good. That fire was blazing pretty good, okay? And so I thought, well, I'm going to put another little piece of wood. It didn't need another piece of wood in there. But I decided, dumb as I am, to put this piece of wood in there. And you know what happened? That fire ran up my arm. <laughs> Praise God it didn't burn me. I don't know how it didn't burn me. But that thing ran up my arm, and I felt the, it's like it's hot mass <laughs> going on and I thought to myself all right that's enough wood I think I'm just gonna sit over here on the side for a little while it seems my the hair on my arm quite a bit but I, I learned my lesson not to let it get that big but nonetheless when you think about something like that happening when you think about the fire doing that think about the power of God residing within you that power is, is available at your beck and call. That power, the power of God. A lot of times, as James says, we have not because we ask not. As I mentioned, I think last week, a week before, one of the greatest lies that we can accept in life is that we have to live this life by ourselves. You have the presence of God, the power of God with you, living with you, helping you along life's way. And it's because of that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. The third thing we see is the tongues illustrated that the pursuit of God became personal. Now this is going to be probably one of the most controversial aspects of my message today. But, but I, I'm just going to believe what I believe the Bible is teaching on this. And not everyone would agree with this, but that's okay. But I believe this is what the Bible is teaching us. The tongues was something that literally happened, but it also served as a symbol. It served as a symbol that as God came down and resided upon each and every person, He had equipped that person to go out and tell other people about the salvation that God has offered to humanity in and through Jesus Christ. And what we see happening is, is, can very easily be explained. They all started talking, but let's, let's, let's see what the gift of tongues is, at least in Acts chapter 2. I'm not saying that there aren't other gifts that can take place. But in Acts chapter 2, I think we are shown exactly what this gift of tongues is. Go down with me in verse, uh, let's read verses 6 and following. When they, the sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because, look what this says, everyone heard them speak in his own language. 
There were many people who were there in, in this public forum. There were many people out in the streets, but they all heard them in their own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Then how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful words of God. God through the Holy Spirit done something spectacular. As they were gathered together, and we're going to learn later that 3,000 people came to faith after the Pentecost. As they were out there preaching the gospel message, every one of the individuals in their own languages, different languages that they had, all understood what the apostles were saying. What this is, is this a gift of languages. That God gave them the capacity to reach other people so that they could hear in their own native tongues. Now, how do we see this today? Well, Burl and I was actually talking about this. We were talking about uh, languages. And, um, you know, sometimes it's difficult. If, if you're good at languages, normally you're pretty bad at math. If you're really good at math, you may struggle a little bit more with languages. But you know what? That's okay. And some people are just geniuses and can excel at both. I'm not. I'm just going to tell you. But here's the thing about it. We all have gifts and abilities that we can bring to God's table. God gives us certain gifts and abilities that, we, that He uses within us to be able to reach other people. And understand this. Each and every single one of you in here today, you have a ministry. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that that same Holy Spirit has come down and resides within you. And what that means is that you can do a great work for Christ. You just have to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, understand what your spiritual gifts are, and all of us working together, all of us working together for the glory of God can do great things. The sky is the limit as to what can happen with a group of people who are sold out, willing to follow the Holy Spirit wherever He leads. The sky is the limit as to what God can do in a situation like that. But last but certainly not least, there's one final symbol that we need to look at. And this absolutely just floored me when I, when I finally discovered it. The Pentecost itself, the very festival of Pentecost itself, illustrated that the promises of God had become personal. Now, there are three major festivities or festivals that take place in Jewish life. There is the uh, festival of Passover, which is the, the, top, the, top, uh, the top festivity that happens in spring. There's also the festival of Tabernacles, which happens in uh, late September, early October. Uh, and, this, and this is where they celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and many other such things as that. But the second one is the Day of Pentecost. Passover represents the time that God delivered the people from Egypt and allowed them to cross over unto going towards the promised land. The day of Pentecost, however, represents the time that God came down and visited Moses on Mount Sinai. That he provided the new that he provided the covenant, that he provided the law of God to Moses and the people. Why did God come at the day of Pentecost through the Holy Spirit? Well, understand this. 
One, one we see the day of Pentecost, God came down, there was wind all about. Remember, He parted the waters by the winds and they walked across on dry land. Remember, He came down by fire on Mount Sinai. What do we see of the Holy Spirit? He came in like a mighty rushing wind. He came down upon the mountain flat, you know, with fire. But we also see that through the Holy Spirit, we have a new covenant. We have a new covenant. We have a new law, the new law of grace. The new law of salvation that we find in and through the salvation of Christ Jesus. And this was all prophesied. This is an amazing thing. Jeremiah prophesied. God says through Jeremiah that he was going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And for all people, that he was going to write his law upon their hearts. That he would be their God and that they would be His people. Aren't you glad to know that if you receive Christ as your Savior, you're a child of God. Amen? You're a, you're, a, you're a prince and a princess because you're a son and daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords of God Most High. You're part of that new covenant. Joel says that after this, I will pour out my Spirit, God says, on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female servants in those days. That all those who would come to faith would receive the Holy Spirit of God. This was something that God had promised long ago. And He fulfilled every bit of the promises that He had made. And you know what that tells me? If we can trust God in things like this, understand He's going to fulfill the promises He's given us about the new heaven, the new earth. All those things you read about in Revelation where the lion lays down with the wolf, all those things you read about in Isaiah there, all the things you read about in Revelation where we see this new heaven and new earth, the, the place where there's no more crying, no more death, no more pain. Aren't you glad that God is going to fulfill every single one of those promises that He's offered unto us in and through Christ Jesus? Let me close with this. Donald Barnhouse tells the story of how he's driving in a car with a friend. And both of these guys love classical music. They love symphony music. And uh, the, the friend asked uh, Donald Barnhouse, what is his favorite symphony? And uh, he, he was trying to tell them his favorite symphony was something called Brahms' First Symphony. I have no clue what it is. I tried to look it up. I caught a little bit of it. But apparently this, this song has a lot of drums and percussions, had a lot of uh, wind instruments and strings and all these different things. And so what Barnhouse was trying to do is he was trying to whistle this symphony to his friend. Then he finally realized how foolish is it of me to think that I can portray or convey uh, this song with all the drums beating, with all the, 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 the flutes blowing, with all these horns blowing, with all these strings that are taking place, how can my simple voice convey the power of that song? We may ask ourselves, how is it that God can be personal with us? This God who created all things, who's beyond the scope of space and time, how is it that He can be personal with me? How is it that He can love each and every one of us as He does and be with us and never leave us and never forsake us? Beloved, He can be by and through the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. What that tells us is that there is never a moment in our lives if we are in Christ that we're ever alone. There's never a moment in our lives that we can't access that peace and comfort that is found in and through God's Spirit. 
He loves you with an everlasting love. And beloved, I believe in my heart of hearts, as we enter into this relationship with Christ, we also enter into this relationship with the Holy Spirit. That He is there with us. That God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And that same power that was in the beginning, before the beginning, that brought all of creation into existence, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, by the grace of God, lives within you. It lives within you. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me make this urgent plea unto you that you come down and receive Him before it's eternally too late. You may not have another chance to make things right with Christ. So I would encourage you to come down and receive Him today. You say, preacher, you don't know about the things I've done. You know, I don't need to know. God already knows about it. And He already decides that He loves you and wants to save you. So why don't you come down to receive Him before it's eternally too late. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you have some pressing issue in your life that you'd like to lay before the altar of God. We encourage you to do that as well. Or maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and life, we just encourage you to come and respond as the Holy Spirit leads. The kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the ability to come into Your house to worship You in spirit and in truth. And Holy Spirit, we ask of You that You would come down and rest upon us, empower each and every one of us who have been saved, that You would give us a fresh anointing anew of Your power and of Your grace and of Your love and Your mercy. Maybe there's someone here today that's struggling with an issue in their life. We just ask, Lord, that You would just provide comfort to them. That you would just, even now as we speak, lay your hand upon them and allow them to know that everything's going to be okay. Provide them the peace that can only come from, you, from your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would come and they would receive you as Savior and God, and in like turn would be filled with the Holy Spirit as happens at salvation. We thank you for all that you do for us all that you continue to do for us. For us in Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection? on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childer saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.
Are you looking for something that will train you in Christian apologetics, but you don't have time to commit to a long-term program? Do you want to learn more about the philosophical, scientific, and historical reasons for the Christian faith? If you answered yes, then plan to attend the 25th National Conference on Christian Apologetics, entitled Defending a Faith That Thinks. It will be held October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, sponsored by Southern Evangelical Seminary. Among the speakers include Michael Brown, Norman Geisler, Gary Habermas, Ken Ham, Richard Howe, Greg Kokel, J.P. Moreland, SES President Richard Land, Jay Richards, Hugh Ross, Frank Turek, Jay Warner Wallace, and more than 30 additional speakers. Early bird pricing lasts until August 1st. For more information, go to conference.ses.edu. I plan to be at the 25th National Conference on Christian Apologetics. I hope to see you there. Once again, this is October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Go to conference.ses.edu. The National Conference on Christian Apologetics, defending the faith of things. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our great nation was built on these simple principles. So was our university. Find your greatness at Liberty. Online or on campus, discover more at liberty.edu. It's the difference between a job and a career.